This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. This episode is brought to you by FX's The Veil, starring Elizabeth Moss. FX's The Veil is an international spy thriller that follows two women as they play a deadly game of truth and lies on the road from Istanbul to Paris and London. One woman has a secret and the other has a mission to reveal it before thousands of lives are lost. FX's The Veil, now streaming only on Hulu. Welcome to the Book Riot Podcast. I'm Rebecca Shinsky. I'm here this week with our managing editor, Vanessa Diaz. Jeff is just, you know, taking a little break since last week he hosted this Wednesday episode. And if you all haven't listened to that, his interview with Jess Pride and Trisha Haley, who host our When in <clears throat> Romance podcast, was really great. They checked in about sort of the state of the genre. If you want to read some romance or you want to read more romance, how to get into that. Really wonderful. And if you're a romance fan and you're not listening to When in Romance, you should correct that. Anyway, Vanessa, thank you for being here with me. No, of course. I'm really excited about our topic. Me too. We are going to continue this February romance vibe by talking about our favorite adaptations of love stories. So not necessarily romances, because they don't all have a happily ever after. And I wanted to ask you before we get started, where are you on the what makes a good adaptation? Like as you sat down to make this list, how do you structure this favorite adaptations situation for yourself? You basically asked me the question to an answer I was already going to give, which is that you're probably going to be the grounding element of this show because I feel like I chose chaos (laughs) and negativity. Um, And that's not because I don't love love stories. I do. I just, I've said this before, like I... I, I think I know what in my head I discern to be a good adaptation, but I'm also a person who's just so curious to see how people adapt the things that I love that, like, overall, I give mm-hmm. probably a little more credit than most, like, <laughs> and I will watch a thing even if it's not, like, you know, capital G great. So as far as what I consider a good adaptation, I do ultimately look for them to not have changed the spirit of the thing, at least not mm-hmm. um, unless it was to improve it from some, like, you know, problematic perspective, in which case that's, you know, great. Um and for it not to feel like too, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Like manip- manipulative in, like, yes. like some stories okay. just tell themselves and like that's kind of all you need to do and you don't oh. need to ratchet up the like. So is there, <laughs> you know what I'm is there not a Nicholas Sparks title uh, There list. is nary a Nicholas Sparks title <laughs> on this list. And I like I loved The Notebook Got when it. it came out. It was great. But um, I was just like, yeah, I, I went in a very different direction and also chose not to like focus necessarily on romantic love, which I think is important. Okay. Um, I love all of that. I also tend to fall on the side of like, I just want it first. I want this to be a good TV show or movie that I'm watching. Is it just enjoyable on its own? And then when we get to the adapted part, is it faithful to the spirit? I care much more about the spirit than about the letter of the adaptation. So I think we're in. Yeah, I think we're in the same boat there. We want the vibes to be right, even if the details are changed. I have some romantic love and then I also have some creative twists <laughs> suggestions that's, that's what we're going with. it's book riot we play fast and loose here we do. Uh, before we get into our picks let's take a break for our first sponsor when you need mealtime inspiration it's worth shopping kroger where you'll find over thirty thousand mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie and no matter what tasty choice you make you'll enjoy our everyday low prices plus extra ways to save like digital coupons worth over six hundred dollars each week you can also save up to one dollar off per gallon at the pump with fuel points more savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping kroger worth it every time kroger fresh for everyone fuel restrictions apply Okay. Should we get the one that we know is a mutual favorite favorite? Yeah, because that way you can rein me in when I go in too long. (laughs) Why don't we just? 
just go ahead, Vanessa, tell the people what you said to me as soon as I asked you to do this episode with me. You know I'm going to include Romeo and Juliet, right? And I'm specifically referring to the Baz Luhrmann adaptation. And she's like, yes, of course, because it's, you know, and, yes. uh, and like, you know, I said this in a recent um, version of our deep dive newsletter. I'm fully aware that this is not actually a love story. At least it shouldn't be. It's a tragedy. Like it is in the tragedies. That is what it's categorized as. We know this. However, <laughs> this movie is a However. piece of perfection that I will def- like defend with my dying breath. It is my favorite adaptation <laughs> of all time. I have seen it almost as many times as I've seen Titanic. Don't at me. I was born oh, in 84. Like, okay. I, I don't know. Mm-hmm. And it's funny. Everyone's like, oh, is it a Leo DiCaprio thing? Not at all. <laughs> like, I enjoy it, but I, no. <laughs> it's, it's just the 90s. Just the 90s. I love this adaptation so much that I bought giant white wings and was Juliet, like with the dress, the halo braid. I bought cheap, like street contacts that almost ruined my vision in like a greener tone (laughs) and was Juliet for Halloween, I think two or three years in a row. Like that's where the obsession is. Um, Are there photos of this and can we? I have been trying to find them desperately because I would have happily dropped them on the people and I just can't. Of course, these were the days when like we were using disposable cameras. So like I don't know where the heck it is. I I looked for it when I was home, like during Halloween, because I was telling someone about this. um, Because I got to see this recently in the theaters again at a local theater here in Portland and had like my best time. Magical. It's amazing. Uh, but yeah, there's so much to love about that. Like, obviously, I'm going to let you talk in a moment here. <laughs> but Carry on. You're doing great. I just the film was perfection for me in so many ways. And it, on top of the fact that it largely remains very faithful to the original text, like they are speaking in iambic pentameter. They are. They managed to make it feel like very natural and like, yeah, like this makes sense to me in a way that I feel like even if you weren't a Shakespeare person, like most of it would have made sense to you contextually. The you know weird like Venice Beach Brazil vibe of the setting and the like <laughs> kind of gang you know the guys were the you know the Capulets were coded very like Latino Catholic <laughs> and then the mm-hmm. Montagues were very like surfer white boys with you know Hawaiian T-shirts paired with just like yeah the tone in which the film was shot this stellar 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 soundtrack that I still love to this day like Justice for Number One Crush oh yes me too and then of course you know casting. <laughs> Baby Paul Rudd in my that is, film is one of my favorite oh my elements gosh. of all time. Who still looks the same. The same. The same. With like an extra crow feet here. Anyway, so I, yeah, I just don't know what there isn't love. Like everything about the it vibe is, is immaculate for me. It is. I agree. It is really perfect. Um, and as I was looking at my list, I was like, oh, wow, you can really tell I'm an elder millennial. So many of these are from the 90s. Same, but 1996 is Romeo and Juliet. It's so hard to beat. And you know, Jeff and I rewatched it a couple years ago for Adaptation right. Nation. It holds up very well. Like it's, it is a consummate '90s vibe for all of the reasons you just described. Like it looks and it sounds and it feels like the '90s. But they were able to do that beautiful Shakespeare thing of bringing in the story, holding the iambic pentameter. And I remember when I rewatched it, being like, wow, they are talking so fast. Yep. You, In some cases, you can't even like fully grok what they're saying because it's in, you know, Victorian or not, but even pre-Victorian, Shakespearean, Shakespearean language. Yeah. yeah, Elizabethan. There's the queen I was looking for. <laughs> I got you. <laughs> um, yeah, it's in that Elizabethan English and still you're able to capture as you were saying what you you're able to get it you don't need to have read romeo and juliet you don't need to really know much about shakespeare to be able to follow this it's just done so well and you know i rewatched the 1990s uh, hamlet adaptation with ethan hawk a couple Ooh. months ago and that <laughs> i mean that's it also a vibe yes. um does not hold up nearly as well as romeo and juliet this is harder to do than I think folks realize if you're going to take this old story and drop it into whatever contemporary looks like at the Mm -hmm. time, you're taking a big risk because contemporary for 1996, like how is that going to look in 2024? And Romeo and Juliet, it really does hold up. Um, We're going to call it, they fall in love. It ends tragically, but those crazy kids, they have a moment. So we're going to call it a love story. I wish I was kidding. This is not a great toxic trait about myself. Like, I have this stupid (laughs) fantasy of falling in love across a fish tank. Like, there's a restaurant that I go to here in Portland, just looking around because it has this gorgeous giant fish tank. And that moment, like, I literally will get teary-eyed thinking about how well they acted it. It's just the the pining of it all. And yet again, they're speaking in a... 
anyway. Um, and also Mercutio. I almost called their, like, Leo and Mercutio's relationship the love story I was going to talk about. Oh, it's yeah. So great. Uh-huh. But anyway, it's yeah, a good Dripping one. in Vibes, great film. You need to, like, place a classified ad somewhere that's, like, <laughs> in search of my Romeo, and I'll be the one at this restaurant by the fish Sit tank. Sit on you the just left go, like, every side night. only. Yes. <laughs> It's like every Wednesday you go and wait by the fish tank wearing your white wings and your let's get some better contacts this time around. And We're going to say that. Yeah. Anybody likes Lechon in Portland? I'll see you there. It's great. Um, anyway. <laughs> oh, I love yes. that very much. I don't know if that's a toxic trait. It's special. <laughs> special. We'll go with special. Yes. It's, it's real special. <laughs> All right. So shared love of Romeo yes. and Juliet. What else is on your list? Should we stay in the Shakespeare zone? Do you have anything else? I do have one more Shakespeare, Shakespeare. zone. It's that I really do have, again, we're going with, this, I'm, I'm of a certain age, 10 Things I Hate About You. I really do love, <gasps> Me too. I mean, it's the Heath Ledger of it all, Julia Stiles. Mm-hmm. And it's just great. Again, taking a thing and making it modern, I don't think is necessarily as easy as people would like to think. And there's tons of Shakespeare adaptations that, you know, we could talk about. And some are successful, some are not. But this one was one of those like shining examples that, really works for me and that you know i i think to this day there's still plenty of people who don't know that it's based on shakespeare because it doesn't necessarily have to be a (laughs) thing that you're thinking about um oh i i just dig it i i can still like sing the musical numbers it it also holds up i watched this like a year or so ago just you know on a whim and we should make sure listeners we did not compare lists oh, yeah, other than the agreement that obviously the show would kick off with Romeo and Juliet. Mm-hmm. So we're going to discover all of our overlaps and idiosyncrasies here together. Um, yeah, the the Heath Ledger of it all, but also Julia Stiles is so dry, so dry and so funny. And when she stands up in the class and reads that poem. Not even a little bit. Like, not even at all. Yeah, I'm going <laughs> to. The love is real. <laughs> It, the, it's and the dad has that perfect oh. overprotective '90s dad yes. vibe, like it's straight out of peak purity <laughs> culture <stupid>. here. <laughs> it's great, and you get what's her face who played Alex Mack and Andrew Keegan. I literally wrote a piece for yes, Book Riot once that was like, Keegan. "Where do you think Andrew Keegan is these days? Is he living off the Tiger Where Beat money? Like, I want to know. Uh, I hope so. <laughs> he really he worked hard he in the '90s, but I think you made a great point there that like one of the things, especially about a Shakespeare adaptation is that you don't have to know that it's based on Shakespeare at all to just enjoy the story. And this is one of the things that makes these Shakespeare stories so timeless is that you can like update them and drop them into just about any kind of situation and folks will enjoy it with or without the Shakespeare knowledge. It's just super fun. Um, And, and you get Heath Ledger singing. Can't Can't take take my my eyes off of you. (laughs) So good. So good. It is. That one is, that's a classic. I think that is the only other Shakespeare that I have. Mine too. I gave myself a two max. Okay. (laughs) So here we are. There's other people to talk about. All right. While we're in like classic adaptation corner, do you have any Jane Austen? I do. Um, okay, I mean, me we can keep that. this brief because like everybody knows, but like I really do have a soft spot for the 2005 Pride and Prejudice. And I was reminded of that when watching Barbie this year as they <laughs> made mm. that casual line. <laughs> with, Depression yep. Barbie. Um, I actually didn't watch this until much, much later. I went through a pair where I was like, ah, I don't know. It just being like a stupid, cool kid. Where I was like, I don't need to be reading Jane Austen. Everybody loves Jane Austen. And then I started reading Jane Austen and was like, oh, OK, I get it. Um, so I just love that particular adaptation. And I watched it again, not because of Barbie, but to remind myself of like how much I like the Kira Knightley's like weird mouth expressions mm. and um, <laughs> the hand thing. <laughs> it's just yeah, and reminding myself that that's okay. The guy I need from you succession. to tell me about the hand thing because I, I I don't I'm not a Jane Austen person, so I have not seen this. So you got to tell the people what the hand. It is thing the silliest is. thing. It's just that you know when he walks away from her and there's that hole in the beginning as they're trying to you know kind of transitioning into discovering that they really do like like each other and don't actually think the other is you know satan um the pining is very that he walks away and does this thing where he just sort of like unflexes his hand and like tenses it really deeply and it's one of those like <laughs> ah yes i see the frustration but there are no words ah yes this is cinematic glory um <laughs> i'm probably not as obsessed Perfect. with it as like all, you know some people but i do i yeah i think it does a really good job of conveying the longing and it's obviously it is period it is set you know in, it's, it's a true adaptation it's not modernized and so I, th- I think they did a good job of conveying mm. longing and pining in ways that really build up the tension and it was great it's good it's a good cast and it's the guy from succession which i'm never I, gonna drop 
Christ. Oh, yes. <laughs> Matthew McFadden. Yep. McFady, McFady, Fadian, Wong's Fadian, something. Yeah, McFady, that's yeah. who he is to me. Tom Wongsgams. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's who he's going to be forever in my heart because I first met him on Succession, and then people were like, "This is the guy from Jane Austen," and then I had the full Scooby Doo like. Rrr. Oh yeah, I had forgotten. Like I thought I was meeting him for the first time too, and said, "What else has this guy been?" And I think it was somebody on staff that was like, "It's literally from you know uh, uh, Darcy." It's like from from, from when Jane Austen from who? Oh, <laughs> Yeah, haven't you seen that a thousand that's, times? That's so. great. Have you yes. seen that this year's big Hallmark push for Love Youary, which is the Hallmark Channel's February Valentine's Fiesta, is for Jane Austen inspired movies? I did not. Of course it. <laughs> of course it is. <laughs> of course it is. Uh, yeah, well. I was writing about it for today in books earlier this week. There's one. The first one is called Paging Mr. Darcy, and I think that it's one I'd heard of. <laughs> I I'm think gonna, that's the only one I don't know. I'm going to watch it. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I'm going to watch it tonight. There is a Sense and Sensibility that's coming out later this month. It's like every Friday night in the month of February you get, or maybe it's Saturdays. Once a week you in know, February, you get a Jane Austen adaptation from the Hallmark may Channel. Have just done my and plans the last for me. <laughs> one is, yes, right? The last one is Sins and Sensibility with a predominantly black cast. Oh. So they took a page from the Bridgerton. Yes. Playbook, and we're like, we can make these Victorian stories diverse, which I'm here for. Like, this is the thing that's going to make me care about Jane Austen. But yep. I was thinking about it. And I was like, I, I think I am the target audience for the Hallmark Channel's Jane Austen adaptations because the idea is that you're here for like some kind of vibe. You don't have to be a diehard Jane Austen fan. Nope. Otherwise, they would have super limited their audience. So I'm really curious about what they're going to do there and whether it can make me a person who does not care for Victorian like comedy of errors kinds of things care about jane austen maybe your moment all right it might be i'm looking forward to it let's see how about the princess bride okay so princess bride is a film that i now love but for reasons i think i can't even really describe why i literally didn't see until approximately five years ago what i do not know how it escaped me no it literally is and i don't i I don't know why there's actually lots of classic movies from i guess that's maybe it when i was like a kid kid and my parents were the ones controlling like what i watched not that they didn't let me see it on purpose it just i don't think was a thing that made it into like our radar and i went to catholic Mm. school so like a bunch of people were also weird about like what to watch and i kept hearing it but i was i mean i was a full adult (laughs) before i finally was like this is like pretty that's a pretty common story for a first gen kid right yeah okay well i'm glad you're in the princess bride camp now absolutely no and and since watching it i loved it it was one of those i don't know why but i didn't feel right picking it for a while because i was like i only just recently watched it but it is it is beloved like i it is yeah it's practically perfect in every way and i am pretty sure that the movie came before the book but i don't care oh that we're again we're going real fast and loose on today's list for those same reasons so yes it's wonderful it has that great meta element where you feel like you're reading a book about Mm -hmm. a book or you're watching a movie that's about a book there's stories within stories the adaptation has billy crystal being the most billy crystal ever like i know i'm supposed to be most excited about Carrie Elways, and I am. He is wonderful. Yes. Wesley is perfect. And, you know, just the career that Robin Wright went on to have after I this, know. truly stunning. But The Princess Bride, it's great. Folks, if you have only ever seen The Princess Bride and you haven't read it, it is a really, really good time. It is. I would recommend it. There, there are some beautiful, like, special editions of it if you want to just have it on your shelf or on your coffee table. It's a good hang. I think it would make a pretty good like read aloud with older kids um, Ooh, who can yeah. hang with like the right like the humor and the kissing books yep. kind of funny stuff that they're doing with it. It's uh, it's just so fun. Like this was almost just a one hour episode about the Princess Bride. Oh no, I would have <laughs> I would have done I'm that. Concerned. It's now, again I watched it as a full adult, but I was like, oh, I get it. Like it was just so much fun. <laughs> like I might want to watch it that. It is. It's so. It's so great. And I do know, like, one of the great travesties is that the audio editions of it are only available as abridged. I'm not sure why. But there's, yeah, if you go to listen to it on audio, it's only like two and a half hours. And that is not the full text of the book. But this gets confusing because in the book, Goldman says, this is an abridged version of the whole story. Like, well, thank you. (laughs) Which is just part of... Right. Like, that's just part of the shtick. But the audiobook that is abridged is actually abridged from the text of the book that is not abridged from anything. That is not abridged from anything. (laughs) 
Excellent. <laughs> Schrodinger's nesting dolls of abridgments. Um, <laughs> it's, yeah, The Princess Bride. Truly, truly perfect. Um, let's see. Tell me, pick another one. We're just going in random order here. I could not bring myself to rank these. I could not either, but I'm going to go off on this one because it was probably the top of my list, actually. It's Fried Green Tomatoes. <laughs> it is. Yes! Me too! Yes! See, this is why we're recording together. I I talked about this with maybe Jeff at some point, maybe even you, of like, I when I got to high school, it was my first time going to public school, and I, we had, you know, I was in like an honors or AP English class, but they gave us like this big list to do just like you pick your own book for this part of the semester whereas the rest was assigned reading and I was going down the list and that was one of the only ones I'd like never heard of so I picked it to read and obviously saw the adaptation later but it was just like a giant mind explosion to have read the book the first time because it was when I was I think being exposed to a lot of ideas that um, mm. maybe had not been so fully fleshed out in my Catholic education. <laughs> Wait, what is this? The uh, vigilante justice of barbecuing a man who abuses that. his partner? Are we talking about all how gay it is? Literally both, but the gay thing like a thousand okay. percent. Um, <laughs> the end. I was very on board with that, but that's part. I was like, oh, it kind of seems like they're like more than friends. And then of course watching the actual movie like really brought that home. Like it wasn't just subtext etc and to this day like when I when I we sat down to do this these were the first two films that came to mind Romeo and Juliet for just the reasons I said and then this for just the sheer tenderness of it like I have Mm -hmm. such a soft spot for these characters the casting of Mary Stuart Masterson is Iggy and Mary Louise Parker is Ruth and of course Kathy Bates but as far as like the love story of it I cannot think of two people they could have cast more perfectly to combine that like magic of just the really intimate friendship between two women that care for each other. And then on top of that, of course, the love feelings, Mm -hmm. you know, and just how fiercely they defend each other. And I, I'm going to get voice cracky if I keep going. I just love this (laughs) film so much. It's ostensibly not, you know, what maybe people would think of as a quote unquote love story, but it is, and it's beautiful. And it is a love story. Yeah. This was also at the tippy tippy top of my list. It is number one. Yay. Um, I knew the movie well before I knew the book. My parents are deeply Southern. My mom like just loved the movie because she loved the setting of mm-hmm. it and loved the Kathy Bates Tawanda, Tawanda of it all. vibe. And mm-hmm. like fried green tomatoes, yeah, has been part of my cultural memory for as long as I've had a cultural memory, I think. Um, I didn't read the book until a couple years ago when we did it for, for Adaptation, Adaptation Nation. Nation. And Aww. right. And then I was like, oh, the book is so much gayer than the movie. Oh, like, it's so much more overt. Um, and it's fascinating to like to go back to that now. And also to think about like the book was big when it yeah. came out. It was really popular. And that's what led to the adaptation. And, uh, and at the time, they made the movie less overt um you know in order to make it more palatable to general audiences which i think now it would have gone the other way the movie probably would have been even spicier than the book which you know the times they are changing we've made some progress but yeah i just growing up i loved the friendship between these two women i when i was a kid i had no idea that they were also likely lovers um blew my mind the first time I watched it when I was old enough to get what was happening (laughs) and then I remember when when Jeff and I did the Adaptation Nation show I called my mom and was like okay (laughs) mother we've seen fried green tomatoes (laughs) approximately nine million times do you know how gay it is And she was like, I've never thought about oh, that. And I was like, oh, okay. that made me, what I was going to say before you said that is that like, I, I agree. I've read the book a few times now and it, reading it as more of a you know fully formed adult, I was like, oh, no, the book is way gayer. But I, I, I didn't really pick up on that when I was that age for all the reasons I just gave. I right. think I was still yeah, just like, coded. no, it's coded, it's coded, it's coded. And then the film, for whatever reason, it, I think just because it's visual was very like, yeah, that brought it home. But I, I have I, talked to people that are like, no, but they're just friends. Like even from watching the film, like, but, but my brother in Christ, <laughs> what are you talking about? Yeah, so, yeah, no. And we've heard when we did that episode about it, we heard from folks who were like, well, if you were a queer millennial, you would have recognized that this sure. is coded because especially uh, Iggy's wardrobe, wardrobe is like, yeah. she's like a queer icon. Mm-hmm. You know, in that just really iconic um 
that was not the lens through which I was watching it in Kansas in the early 90s. Um, But just a a true love story in the way of like, they're actually literally lovers Mm -hmm. and we need more of that on screen. But you're right, like the friendship love story is something that I think we don't get nearly enough of in media. And so either way, I think however you watched it, (laughs) whether you knew they were gay or not, uh, you can love the love story of Fried Green Tomatoes. Uh, Let's take a break for our next sponsor here. Okay, you want to stay in the zone of uh, friendship love story? Yeah, give us one from your list. For a second. The Shawshank Redemption. (laughs) I love us so deeply. (laughs) This is my biggest, I think this is, well, it's not necessarily the biggest swing on the list. Just very quickly, when Rebecca and I were talking about, like, should we share these titles or should we not, like, from each other, and we were like, no, let's keep it, you know, whatever. And she said something about, you know, there's going to be a couple that are, you know, creative interpretations of love, like a one, you know, this is this really a bromance? And I, like, made lightning strike me down. I went, what are we talking about? Like, Shawshank Redemption? <laughs> and I didn't, I kept that to myself. Uh, so sorry for everybody's eardrums that I just blew oh, out. But I love that. Yeah. Talk to me about so, this. <laughs> the Shawshank Redemption with Tim Robbins and Morgan Freeman. It's perfect. Uh, It's based on the Stephen King novella, Rita Hayworth and the Shawshank Redemption. Like, is there any greater love than between two men who help each other escape from prison and then run off to Mexico? Probably not. And they're just the perfect odd couple, like in every way. (laughs) You know, they're physically, they're very different. They come from different racial and ethnic experiences. They have these very different personalities and they meet each other. And it's this like kind of instant friendship tim robbins is going to crawl through those pipes full of poop Mm -hmm. to get out and red is going to play it all cool like he doesn't know what's going on and they're gonna end up in mexico together it is the fantasy (laughs) (laughs) this is true friendship it's so good and the thing is like the stephen king book it's excellent i know jeff and i had like an argument about it when we did the which one do you keep the book or the movie when we talked about this one for Adaptation Nation, like, I love this movie. It is perfect. I saw it dozens of times before I read the story. But y'all, Stephen King can write. Yeah. And most of the great stuff in the movie is lifted directly, like, verbatim from the book. And I was like, you know, I think I might actually keep the book for as much as I love the movie. The novella is, it is wonderful. And you just get so many details about these characters that come across in the film but it's just a little richer there's a little more texture i mean also the ultimate romance ultimate romance for sure i will not be taking questions at this time (laughs) the shawshank redemption is a love story my only comment which is a good one though (laughs) is that um i initially kind of thought about putting this on my list in addition to um, legends of the fall (laughs) (laughs) but i wait is legends of the fall on your list because ultimately i was like i don't know that i'm actually like super into these love stories like with the benefit of time anyway but i still love that movie but what i was gonna say is i think it's it always blows my mind when someone takes a novella length text and blows it up into Mm -hmm. this like super rich engaging thing that you're like clearly this must be like a 500 page adaptation and this is no nope. slice in that camp so yeah yeah that's just how good Stephen King mm-hmm. is there's that much detail in those like 70 pages or 100 or whatever it's great if you have not read this story please go do it friends it's wonderful it uh you have any hard right turns you want to take us on um, are any of these hard right let me look on this is not hard right so much as that it's modern and i love it and it's actually based off of like a non-fiction um and it's survival of the thickest and i really want to talk about this because it's oh. a netflix series that did not initially get okay. a lot of promo because it happened to debut right when everybody went on strike um mm-hmm. so survival of the thickest is by comedian and actress michelle buteau she is a hilarious comic and she's also like as you might know from the title she's thick she's a, a big curvy woman fat. i believe she identifies as fat but anyway um so this book really is, is ultimately a memoir about her life growing up as she's she's very light-skinned so like for a lot of her life she's gotten confused for being something other than black and had her identity questioned because she's a bigger girl has gotten all the discrimination and you know bs that comes with that and so she wrote this ultimately really really hilarious but also heartfelt memoir that she kind of did like an auto fiction tune to for this netflix series it's not like oh one gosh. for one perfect um okay but it does also 
the, the best part of it to me is the love story. Like she herself ended up with a, like in real life with a Dutch guy that she's like a, a girl from Queens and this dude, this Dutch guy, like what on earth did we have in common? And yet it stuck. And she puts a lot of that into the relationship for this main character who meets this Italian guy. And he sees her for all that she is. And it's, it's just so like fat positive and she's a stylist in the Netflix series and does like a really good job of trying to convince her clients that like, no, I'm not going to put you in shapewear. Like you just should look good and comfortable mm. the way you are. And that bleeds into her relationship too. It's just so like accepting and full and beautiful in a way that was really nice to see on screen. And I get feel like that series for as successful as it was, it just, again, she couldn't talk about it forever because of the strikes. So yeah. it's a fun one. If you really want to laugh and maybe cry a little, the memoir is phenomenal. And the show was just like chef's kiss. It, it was great. And the love story is great. Oh, I'm so glad that you mentioned that. I had heard, you know, like peripheral chatter about Survival of the Thickest, but I hadn't gotten to it yet. And I didn't realize it was an adaptation. Yeah, so it's great. I'm over here learning some things. You know, I'm looking at my list and realizing when we talked about Jane Austen, we should have talked about Bridget Jones's diary. Oh my gosh, I am so mad. <laughs> well, I, I should leave. <laughs> How did I not put that out here? <laughs> It's on my list, and I'm thinking about how his name is Darcy, uh, but of course, adapted from Helen Fielding's books, books yeah. about Bridget Jones. I am never going to pass up Bridget Jones's diary on cable. Yes, I still have cable. I'm <laughs> not sorry because of things like getting to pass Bridget Jones when you're like 20 oh, minutes in, and it's like, cool, I'm going to sit here this. for the next hour yes. and, and see what Bridget's up to. I think this is one of those cases where the book is good, the adaptation is great. This is these are really fun, especially the first one. Really so great fun. movie. The books are, you know, from the solid mid nineties chick lit. Read it on the beach. You won't be sad that that's how you spent your day. But the like two hours with Renee Zellweger, <sighs> just perfect. Just truly, it's a great time. Like just truly, it is such a great time, and just it holds up. It's consistently, you know, it's just consistently fun. In a lot of these, especially like a lot of my picks are from you know ten, fifteen, twenty years ago. There's stuff that doesn't age yeah. well. This that is this is what happens with culture. Ideally, yep. you know, like culture evolves, and things that were cool twenty years ago are no longer acceptable. And you know, there's a lot of you know, fat Jamie, shaming yeah. stuff around Bridget Jones, especially she's not nearly fat oh at my gosh. all. Um, <laughs> <laughs> throwing on her the same as love actually situation yeah, exactly. oh my gosh yes exactly uh, right like listen the 90s were messed up about body stuff in general um so we can acknowledge all of those critiques but for the time it was made and the way that it holds on to like the spirit of the story and just how funny it is like there's really good slapstick there's really great physical humor they have a sweet little chemistry between them it's, I mean, come it's on, lovely. Bridget Jones. I'm very what ashamed to, to say, say that recently a friend and I were like going to hang out, but she needed like some time in the middle to go let out her dog and do these things. And she mm-hmm. said something about, I just need to debunny real quick. And I was like, you need to what? And she's like, I need to debunny. And I was like, oh, that's a typo. Hmm. And later she's like, no, you know, when Bridget Jones has to like take off the bunny outfit, I was like, <laughs> oh, I'm so ashamed. I didn't remember that. <laughs> but yes. So um, yes, it's so great. And I want to rewatch it now. <laughs> Oh, I know. That's such a good one. We could have ourselves a little watching party. Bridget Jones is perfect for that. Let's see. Where do you want to go? We're down into like the second half of my list here. So I'm I'm going to go back to the 90s and talk about Practical Magic because it is also one of those Mm. things that I will watch 900 times. But this is one where the example I'm giving of the love story to me is not the romantic version, um, if for no other reason than because, you know, there's a whole curse that the women... The, the Owens women for any man they fall in love with he's gonna die so that's maybe not the nicest love story um but the the relation that the sisters vibe is so strong in these books and it repeats through because for those who don't know practical magic was adapted from the 1998 book but then alice hoffman ended up going on to write several more books um that are some are which are sequels and some that which are prequels that go all the way back to like the actual witch trial times but um the relationship of the sisters in this book in particular both between the main characters that are sally and jillian and then the aunts the aunts who are like the best characters ever um francis and jet is like the book that i go to for comfort reasons of wanting to live in that space of women who have this bond that is elevated beyond all things that is ride or die. (laughs) I don't necessarily think that (laughs) phrase is healthy in a lot of instances. And this one, it's very funny. Um, (laughs) Like they literally will bury the body for each other, but it's just great. It's so supportive. It is, you know, chocolate cake for breakfast and 
midnight margaritas and just always being there for one another and kind of letting you know when you've maybe messed up too and it's just so so tender and very real feeling to me that that is the relationship I think of the most when I think of practical magic uh, when you wrote about this last fall for the deep dive, I really had like deep pangs of I'm so sad that this is one that slipped through oh. my 90s grasp. Like I've seen it, but I just I think I just didn't get it at the right moment. Absolutely. I didn't connect with it in that yeah, way. And the relationship. Not like great yeah. per se, <laughs> I think in a lot of ways, unless you have that attachment to it. Yeah, the relationship you have to it is just really lovely. Um, I don't know that I have that relationship to any of the th- any of the stories that we're talking about today but the way that you can return to it and that it's been there for you for literal decades I really loved reading about and we'll drop a link to that in the show notes for folks and if you're listening to us here every week and you're not subscribed to the book riot deep dive newsletter it's going to be right up your alley it's me and Jeff and the editors uh, taking turns talking about like kind of going deep nerding out on stuff from our own yeah. reading lives and what's going on in publishing uh, so you get stuff like Vanessa waxing philosophical yes. for 2000 words about practical magic it's wonderful um, the last thing i will say about that is see. casting wise just if you want to have a good time mm. is it the answer played by diane weist and stalker channing and the movie is worth it for that alone like for me impeccable yes. <laughs> stalker channing is never never a, a bad, bad time thing. just never. wonderful yep, exactly let's see my i think current fave and by current i mean the adaptation I've been watching for the last 10 years on repeat is Crazy Rich Asians. Oh my gosh, absolutely on my list. Um, yeah, so it's, the book is great. This, these are one of the the series that there's no great read-alike for, or at least in the last 10 years, I have not found it. I remember tearing through the first book. The second two were really fun. It's so funny. Kevin Kwan does this, like the social satire is very sharp, Everyone is fully drawn, even the side mm-hmm. characters. You really can get a sense of who they are on the page. And it's just like, it's gossipy and it moves. And there's like class warfare yep. <laughs> and commentary about so many different kinds of things. I think this is one of the best ad- adaptations ever. Um, I've watched it on, I don't know, dozens of flights. Like <laughs> if you're on a plane and they have crazy rich Asians in the in-flight studio, that is the obvious choice. It's a great hang. It's well cast. And it's one of the examples where like, this is an adaptation of a 400 something page book that they shrunk down mm-hmm. to a two hour movie. So a lot of the tiny details are gone. Many of the side characters are gone. But it is incredibly true to the spirit of the book that like gossipy spill the tea in like interconnected community where everybody is all up in everybody else's business and like people know that you have sneezed before you even reach for the <laughs> tissues that kind of thing yep. like it, it just really captures it and i think it handles the really complicated dynamics between like first generation immigrant kids who are really different uh, culturally and socially in what they want and what they're like willing to tolerate and interested in doing than what their parents raised them you know hoping that they would land in like both of these main characters are really going against the grain of their families in in different ways and going against each other's family's expectations and how Kevin Kwan threads that needle um, I think is just it's really carefully done it's really hard to be funny in text like just I think humor is one of the hardest things to do in fiction and he nails it and they are they were able to carry so much of that into the film also like the fashion is great the music is great all of these like you know remade versions of american pop songs but being sung in chinese um really it i mean it's perfect i've watched i'll watch that wedding scene over and over anytime Mm -hmm. and one of the great makeover montage scenes in modern film for sure it's just such a visual treat like from top to bottom it's just (laughs) and like it the food in it made me very hungry and it's Mm -hmm. i always use this film as an example which i've also heard from friends who like are from singapore like the one thing lacking in it is that it very much portrays kind of like a single side of singapore so like you can we can talk about that another time mm-hmm. but um sure whenever we're talking about the importance of telling diverse stories it's that like there is universality in specificity much though like prop yes. con- contrary to popular belief from network executives maybe but um <laughs> this is a film that you know i am in no way tied to culturally because i am obviously latina and this book is about singaporean and chinese people but but the 
the vibe, yeah, of it feeling very, like, it felt like a Mexican telenovela to me, but with a different culture. Like, mm-hmm. it's, it's still, there was so much relatability to it, like you just said, about the the ways that we feel the big gap between our generation and the one before us, and how we're trying to live up to those standards, but, you know, where do we break the mold to in the parts that we want to differ from? That was captured so beautifully, all within the context of a really great love story, and I think that is very just nice to see and yeah it was it, I, I also have seen this movie on multiple plane rides uh, it's just great <laughs> it's perfect it's crazy rich Asians and the first hour of the new a star is born like I will go down <laughs> with these are the perfect things to watch on planes you don't need to watch the rest of a star is born see it one time and the rest of it is disappointing yep. well not no, disappointing the rest of it is depressing. depressing but that first hour is truly perfect <laughs> they fall in love there is music I looked to see if I could like find a way I mean the Bradley Cooper Lady Gaga one is an adaptation of previous yep. versions of A Star is Born and it was nominated for Best Adapted Screenplay when it came <laughs> That's out. Right. So there's a way I could try to shoehorn uh, the new, like it's a da- it's an adaptation of the previous version see, of itself. See? But <laughs> this is my <laughs> contractually obligated mention of my favorite thing to watch on planes. Um Okay, let's see. Where are we going to go now? <clears throat> Crazy Rich Asians. How would you like to hear? This is my silliest one. A love story between a woman and her bathtub. Absolutely. Please, give it to the people. <laughs> as far as I'm concerned, that's what The Bridges of Madison County is about. <laughs> How did I not see this coming? <laughs> Speaking of the deep dive... <laughs> We will also link to this. Uh, <laughs> man, I had a great time last summer revisiting the bridges of yes. Madison County for the first time in 30 years since it was the Oprah pick in 1993, where Oprah talked about it before Oprah even had picks. The bridges yep. of Madison County predates the Oprah book Correct. club. Uh, um, the book is bad, <laughs> <laughs> which made for really fun writing but the film has Meryl Streep and uh my headcanon is also that it has Harrison Ford instead of Clint Eastwood so we're just (laughs) we're gonna pretend it doesn't have Clint Eastwood but it has one of the great bathtub scenes in a modern story and in the book the woman the main character that Meryl Streep plays she takes a lot of baths over those Mm -hmm. like four days while she's thinking about whether she's going to have this affair and then how she is having this affair um it's not a good movie, but it's a lot better than the book. I don't even know that I could call it a favorite in terms of like the quality of the art, but the the experience of going back to revisit this very 90s thing so 90s. was really, really fun. I am not here to recommend that anyone listening to this show go back and watch <laughs> The Bridges of Madison County. I'm sorry that I'm even mentioning it. I was, what, like eight-ish when this came out? And like my... Yeah, because I was yeah, 11. My dad's, like one of his favorite actors is Clint Eastwood. Maybe not as much now, but like back then was. And then one of my, like my aunts was Meryl Streep. So I remember watching it for them. And they were both having these like giant reactions to this. And just being like, no tengo ninguna idea. Like, what is this about? And like, so I, yeah, I watched it much later and was like, Y'all were all hype over this. <laughs> but I, yeah, yes. it's about a <clears throat> woman who left her family in Italy mm-hmm. to marry a farm dude from Iowa, and he is crappy and has never given her an orgasm. Like, and then <laughs> a rugged man rides in on his beat up pickup truck and on her. Yep. <laughs> That's my, that, that's my pitch. Oh, yeah. Episode title and yet too long. Uh, <laughs> yeah. This is, uh, Jeff, I'm sorry for how much you're probably blushing while you edit this, but you know Hi, what? Jeff. Jeff has been saying spreadsheets spread on every episode just to make me uncomfortable. So turnabout is fair play. Um, it's, I mean, it's not good. I think this one is really due for a, a remake. You could try to run this back, like in another 10 years mm. when Bradley Cooper has more gray yep. hair. I want to see this with Bradley Cooper and it, I don't even care who yeah. else. Mm. Um, is there anything on your list that you would like to see remade? Yes, actually. And it's my <clears throat> next older pick, which I also have talked about on the deep dive. I swear we did not set this episode up to be like, go read our work. But um, Listen, we are who we, we are. are. <laughs> uh, like Water for Chocolate by Laura Esquivel. Oh, yes. So it is an adaptation of a book that was originally written in Spanish called Con Guava para Chocolate. And it's, I don't even remember the year it came out, 90, 
It's 90 something. something. Yeah. And it is, you know, very dated from like just the quality of the film itself to now. And it's another one of those that falls deeply in the like space of like, this is extremely unhealthy, but I can't help but like root for these people (laughs) because the gist of it is that, you know, the main character, because she's the youngest of the three daughters in this, you know, Mexican family, her lot in life is that she has to take care of her mother. And the mother is very kind of abusive and tyrannical. And so she won't allow her to marry when she falls in love. And then that guy takes the mom up on the offer though to marry her sister because he's like well then i'll be close to you and like guess how well that works out it's awful it's awful and of course you know the book is has magical realism so there's like all this stuff where the things that the main character is feeling will like bleed out into her food and so the people who eat it have terrible reactions or embarrassing and funny and sexy Mm -hmm. ones depending on what mood she was in but it's this story that ultimately like the characters do find their way back to each other at the end and there is some there's something very tender about like that final scene and of kind of seeing these people you know look longingly at each other across the room for decades even though it is terrible like why would that make me feel better like you married my sister and have kids with her and my family like yeah great love like no it's awful don't do this Um, but I would like to see it remade because I think that there's so much comedy to be had, especially in like the wedding mm-hmm. cake scene where she's, you know, crying her face off when she makes like that's the rugged part. She's forced to bake a cake for their wedding, <laughs> for her sister Awful. and husband's wedding. <laughs> so of course everybody's like sobbing their face off when they eat this cake. And then there's another dinner where like her sexy feelings for this guy bled into the quail. Mm. And so her sister has this urge to run away and like take her clothes off and take a shower and then a mexican revolutionary comes and takes her away on horseback like there's there's a lot of uh, yes. banana pants scenes that i think would be interesting <laughs> to see like redone now with an even like no we're gonna call this funny and then the parts that are hard are hard but could make a thing for a really great modern adaptation so i mean who needs chocolate dipped strawberries nope. when you can have aphrodisiac quail. quail yep quail and rose petals let's go for it so yeah. <laughs> wow. That's one that I also just missed in the 90s. Yeah. But I remember, I think probably because my, my mom would like not have let me check the book out from the oh, library. No, yeah. But I do remember being in the family minivan. And this was before CDs, friends. This was when you had cassette mm-hmm. tapes. And my mom and our, like her best friend were taking all of the kids on some road trip. And they <clears> were like <throat> running through the cassette tapes that they had checked out from the library of the audiobook of like Water for Chocolate. Oh, yes. And it was one of those like, everybody put your headphones on. Do you have your Walkman? And I was just in the back seat of the minivan listening to I like listening to Tony Braxton breathe again yeah. on my Walkman. Yes. <laughs> While the moms sat in the front row and listened to like water oh for my chocolate. Gosh. That is that is great. Yeah, I actually didn't I watch this until I was older too, like not older, but like I, I was a kid when it came out, but I saw it in college. And so it was just mm-hmm. enough to like be like, oh and yeah, yeah the it's the, the Walkman experience of you listening to Tony Braxton. It's, well, it's they, real. Yeah, that's yeah. great. <laughs> it's a real snapshot memory I have happening there. Um, couple more on my list that I'd love to see remade. Heartburn by Nora Ephron. Ooh, have you read no, this? No, I haven't. It's been like a thing I've been meaning to get oh. to forever and just haven't. One of the great like proto-divorce stories it is it's just so sharp it's Nora Ephron at her bitingest like this is before she got a little bit sweeter and wrote things like when Harry met Mm. Sally um just very sharp-tongued and it's so much fun the book is great and the adaptation with Meryl Streep and Jack Nicholson is just not which like how can a thing with Meryl Streep and Jack Nicholson not be great I don't know I I blame it on uh, however I think Efron was involved in the screenwriting but like something happened Mm. something went wrong they softened a lot of things the characters in the book are Jewish they have you know like a Jewish coded last name that gets you know much more like Gentile coded Mm. for the movie for reasons that are unexplained um yeah just a lot of choices that did not work it's a bummer i think jack nicholson was just also wrong for this character um that one i think needs another pass because it's a it is a great book and maybe the biggest travesty of adaptations that i've seen is the time traveler i literally saw it and went uh, we're we're gonna keep moving (laughs) Mm -hmm. we're gonna like memory hole the fact that we ever saw that adaptation um 
And if you're like on the younger side listening to this, there was a moment in the late 90s, like early mid 2000s, where the time traveler's wife was like the thing. It was everywhere. It was a bestseller for multiple years. It's this big romantic story about a man who like pops in and out of the different moments of his timeline. And so like we see him falling in love with his wife and being in different, you know, times of their life and then just kind of dissolving. Like it sort of seems like he gets raptured. (laughs) Like, and the way that that works, like, I don't know, the technology of his disappearances comes across really badly in the movie. It's just not good. Uh, it needed another pass. I think, in fact, maybe they did another pass. There was, now that I'm talking about it, I think there was an HBO attempt at this in the last couple of years. I was years literally looking was a it series. up. Yep. <laughs> I was like, didn't this yeah, happen? And that I did not hear any good things about, so I did not go near it. Um, I think we have the technology to do this well. Now we're doing more complicated things than this kind of story. I don't know why this one has like plagued filmmakers. It needs to be, we need a good swing. I need a good swing at the time traveler's wife. I'm here for that. What else is on your list? V? This one is like kind of also fast and loose in the sense that it is uh, not, I don't think a direct adaptation, but it is a spinoff of one, which is the uh, the Queen Charlotte um, Netflix adaptation, which is a Bridgerton story, but I don't think there is mm. a Bridgerton book that corresponds specifically to this, like, adapt this movie or this. It was it a series, I think. Um, obviously, the Bridgerton books are based on the Bridgerton books by Julia Quinn. Um, and I loved everything about the casting, and I, I'm a big nerd for historical fiction about like actual historical figures if done correctly. And this one imagines the relationship between Queen Charlotte and uh, King George, and it is. So, A, again, the visual treat, but like their love story as he is, he, he it's pretty well known at this point that he suffered from some kind of mental illness that, of course, there wasn't like a word or any kind of language or proper treatment for it back then. And so they just sort of kept enforcing what they thought were treatments, you know, bleeding him out mm. and all the things that people would have done back then to like treat an ailment that they don't have a name for. Um, but the way she falls for him, like their courtship, and then ultimately how she protects him as they grow older, like there is this final scene at the end that is a callback to the beginning where they're like under the mattress, like just talking and dreaming and laughing with one another when they have a moment of him ha- be- having like mental clarity is a thing mm. I think about a lot. Like it was very uh, tear inducing and lovely. And I like the Richardson uh, adaptations anyway, like they're fun. But this one mm-hmm. was like, a- I loved, and I cannot remember the name of the woman who plays Queen Charlotte, but she is a gem of all sorts. And the rest of the casting is really great too. Lady Danbury as a young woman. It's it's just such a great... Other than the, my one small flub with this, which is that they really do apply like a really weird minstrel treatment to one of the characters. And that just did not need to happen. I don't know why it did, especially with you know black creators behind it. But the love story between Queen Charlotte and King George is so tender. I love it so much. And I want to rewatch it now. Aw, that's super fun. Let's see. Couple. I think I'm through the ones I really wanted to talk about. Have you hit all your must talks? Do you have anything else before we get honorable mentions? I think so. The one like random thing I just wanted to note is that I was really bummed that there aren't more like Latino love stories. And that's yeah. just, you know, a personal hang up, obviously. <laughs> but like, like Water for Chocolate was one of the only ones I could readily think of that was an adaptation. And I can think of a million both romance and not that like could be done. And I hope that's the case. I, this is a very side snarky that has nothing to do with anything. But I don't know how I missed that The House of the Spirits was adapted. And I, my oh. only quibble here, because this isn't a love story, is that The House of the Spirits by Isabel Allende, which is literally set during, like, the Pinochet period, so, like, in, mm-hmm. in Chile, like, a South American country, has a cast that is Meryl Streep, Glenn Close, Jeremy Irons, Antonio Banderas, <laughs> and Winona Ryder. What do we have a problem with here? <laughs> uh, we're going to put that in the memory So hole. that is just, we're going to put that on the shelf, and that's my one quibble there. Um, the only other... Maybe... We're due for a remake. Exactly. I was going to say, what if we remade it? That is the only solution I can propose there. Um, the one like modern one that I kind of threw in here last second because I watched it recently is that I really did like the red, white, and royal blue love story because it was mm-hmm. like low on like, um, you know, obviously romance. We know we're going to get the happily ever after or happy for now ending. Yeah. But the conflict is, you know, there's all, all kinds of reasons why <laughs> like there has to be a third act breakup kind of thing. But theirs was not particularly... I don't know, like hard to stomach. It was, they just, they get a, Mm. it was a really good example to me of like people generally being like besties, like just best buds 
and then also sexy times um so i just loved yeah. the tenderness of that story because i really love that book that's so. great I loved the book. I haven't watched the adaptation yet. I've got to get there. But you made me, while you were saying that, it made me think about adaptations where we've seen the adaptation, but we're not going to read mm-hmm. the books. And I guess this is just the moment where I will admit that I am going to watch every season of Virgin River. I'm never going to read Never going to read those, ever. But I will watch Virgin River. <laughs> <laughs> that business is melodramatic and ridiculous. And everyone in town is apparently very fertile and also is a secret drug dealer. Um, this is my, I don't, you know, we don't really believe in guilty pleasures no. here at Book Riot. But if we did, that would be at the top of my list. And then I saw last week when some of the Netflix streaming numbers came out that it was the fourth most yep. popular thing that got streamed last year. And I was like, oh, everyone. I texted a friend, like, everyone is watching this with us and no one is admitting Correct. it. But here we are. Uh, so I have no interest in reading those. I'm also not going to read the Sweet Magnolias books that Netflix has done an adaptation oh on. Gosh, but those yeah. are, you know, like, when you want some candy... That's good Netflix candy. Um, I really did also, I, I just don't read much YA, so I don't have anything against the idea of the series, but I enjoyed to all the boys I've loved before. Oh my gosh, I've been meaning to watch um, them, I just haven't, but not for any good reason. It's really sweet. I think there are some critiques of it that I have avoided because I just would like to let this one be undisturbed. Sure. <laughs> you know, sometimes I just want to enjoy the thing. Um, but Lana Condor is great. Noah Centineo gives off, you know, consummate male lead mm-hmm. vibes. Uh, for a teen love story and then john corbett in dad mode oh like there that's it's lovely <laughs> if you grew up like we did watching him on sex in the city seeing yeah. him enter the dad years is really great um but i thought it, it was really fun um i watched it on a weekend i thought this is excellent i don't need to go back and read the books um Oh, and this is making me now we're having we're just playing like free association. The Ms. Marvel adaptation yep. is great. That's uh, I love, 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 love Ms. Marvel. Not a love story, no. but we're just going to shout that That's one. Fine. A love story between a girl and her secret powers. <laughs> a girl in a really cool outfit. Yeah, no, I agree. Uh, I almost put Gone Girl on the list of like a love story Chaos. between a woman and revenge. <laughs> I would have deeply appreciated that almost as much as Shawshank. But uh, yeah, at least we got to mention it and have my ridiculous witch cackle all over this show. <laughs> uh, yeah, I love the witch cackle. I felt like a genius when I thought of this episode idea and that you should be the one to do it with me. So thanks for making me look good Vanessa Um, any honorable mentions I think that's mainly most of what I have I I, yeah I had a much longer list that I tried to pare down because I knew I would go on forever and ever about a few of those in particular but yeah those are I think some of my faves this has been a great time my two honorable mentions are Forrest Gump Uh, which look just insert all your own caveats here we know we know we know we know (laughs) we know but it's one of those like pieces of culture that if you developed affection for it at the time it was fresh when it was all culturally acceptable and he just loves jenny like let us put aside all of the other things forrest gump just loves jenny i don't need anyone to take another swing at forrest gump we should probably just leave that on the shelf um Jeff and I have circled it for years as a possible <laughs> adaptation nation. And then we can't ever like, uh, like uh, actually uh, decide <laughs> to do it. Like, will we, it, do, do people just want a whole hour of us like looking at that through our fingers? Like, <laughs> But a, a great adaptation of a love story and by all accounts, much better than the book. Um, and then one I wanted to shout out because I only developed affection for it because of doing adaptation nation was The English Patient by Michael oh Mondanje, my gosh, which yeah. would have been formative for me if I had seen it back when then. I was yeah, younger. I agree. But Ray Fiennes and Kristen, Kristen Scott, Scott Thomas. Thomas. Yes. Mm, just that is some steamy business. I'm like looking and up into great. the sky that is my ceiling like, oh my gosh, yeah. Like I didn't <laughs> just yeah, like thinking about. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> there are some makeout scenes in that movie. Let me tell mm-hmm. you. Oh, those are great. Honorable All mentions. right. Well, uh, thank you. Thanks for doing this with me, Vanessa. This was really yeah, fun. It was really fun. I just want to see some more diverse uh, adaptations so I can yes. get that fully fleshed out in a uh, way that is, yeah, greed. but it just was fun to do. And I will speaking. Pretend. Yeah. Go ahead. Speaking of that, the news broke yesterday morning that Tia Williams' Seven oh, Days in yes. June is headed yes, yes, for an yes. Amazon Prime adaptation. So talk about steamy. Yep, that'll that'll be, be a good time. I cannot wait to see who that they cast That is going to be that. a really ah. good time. 
I know. I cannot wait. That's going to be super fun. Um, we're in, I, like, this is one of the great things about this peak streaming, maybe even past the golden age of adaptations moment is that everything gets yep. adapted and books are becoming more diverse in all of the ways. There's obviously, you know, still a million miles to go there. But the fact that audiences want stories that are not just about straight white people Mm -hmm. has really landed I think that like studio heads network heads have really internalized that truth and we're getting more of this stuff so hopefully like if we do this episode in another 10 years we're going to have you know much more diverse lists because the offerings and just the things that we can get attached to and excited about are becoming much more diverse so I hope so uh, here is to progress and also a, cu- a couple problematic things. <laughs> Just a few. Shh, shh. No one needs to know. Shh. <laughs> All right, folks. You can find the show notes, as always, at bookriot.com slash listen. Join us on the Patreon at patreon.com slash bookriotpodcast to get access to ad-free listening, early access to the shows, and also all of the bonus content. Uh, Jeff and I are going to be talking about some of our Instabuy authors, the ones that mm. we're just going to pick up no matter what as soon as we hear about them. On an upcoming episode, we have a lot of fun stuff coming up over there. You can subscribe to the podcast newsletter at brpod.substack.com. We, you know, answer listener feedback. We tease each other because we take turns writing them. I'm revealing uh, bad puns, actually amazing (laughs) puns that Jeff made in my DMs recently (laughs) in the next ones. And you can find me writing our Better Living Through Books newsletter, which is betterlivingthroughbooks.substack.com. Vanessa, anything you want to plug on our way out here? I am having actually just a really good time at the deep dive, which I know we've said a thousand times, but it is just a really fun space for us to get to, like Rebecca said, nerd out about things that interest us and we think interest you. Um, so that has been a great time and then I am also a co-host on all the books so if the new books scene is what you want to know more about then of course you can catch me there plus a rotation of lovely other hosts that include you know the Liberty Hardy the one and only all right well that does it for this week Jeff and I will be back with the news next time you hear us until then friends keep it steamy (laughs) please do (laughs) 